Again, I'd like to welcome everyone to today's show. Today we have Christopher Hoyer with us, retired Phoenix PD, author of the book. And we also have Chris Gregorio with us, you know, active law enforcement. And Chris, I want to kind of, Christopher, I want to kind of start with you on, you know, I was reading your book and, you know, going into everything where law enforcement really wasn't what you set out for. So kind of tell us a story about how it came to be on getting into it. Well, I was a first generation guy. He just decided one day that um, I didn't want to be laying carpet anymore. And I could, I could picture myself at 40 years old trying to roll around in carpet and doing all the bad stuff and decided that uh, chasing bad guys, you know, carrying a gun, driving as fast as I want was, was really appealing to me. So in fact, when they asked me in my, my background investigation, why I want to be a cop, I told him that very thing. And he's like, well, wait a second, we might want to just slow you back down here a little. And uh, so when it came time to answer the question for the brass, it was more on the side of, well, I want to protect my community, make it safer for my daughter to grow up in. Truth is, you know, even after, you know, almost 20 years of being on the street, it was still that same answer. I just had a ball chasing bad guys. So. Awesome. And then, so, you know, in the, in the book, when that day comes training for the fight, you know, so, there's so much that's entailed in there from, you know, beginning, you know, while you're an active and then, you know, what, what kind of like led up into the end. And, you know, I, we all kind of sit on the sidelines now and we kind of hear the certain things that are aimed at law enforcement today. And with you, you know, living your life, being active and then, you know, retiring and kind of seeing the, I don't want to say progression is more or less like a digression of, you know, how law enforcement is viewed today and the hardships that law enforcement across the country face today. You know, how, what are your views on, you know, how different it was from when you were in opposed to like what you see today? Well, when I got on, that was the to transition from the, you know, the thump the bad guys to the kinder, gentler thing. And we're told, you know, it's, it's no longer coffee and donuts. Now it's bagels and, you know, these kinds of things. And which was, which was all fine. And it really wasn't that that way for very long because we were still i got hired on in 97 and it was still a, a time when you could still chase bad guys and do a lot of fun stuff and i have seen it progressively get worse over the years of course like like most of the country has and my my first belief is that we let so many citizen groups run our police departments my former agency is going through that exact thing right now and be perfectly honest with you you know the way my agency was was promoting folks wasn't off of their merits it was off of their test taking abilities and so then they weren't promoting leaders which you can plainly see is going to start turning into a big problem when you get guys that have been on the street for two or three years next thing you know they're running a squad of guys that have 20 years on it just i mean sometimes it works don't get me wrong i mean there's a lot of really great supervisors out there but when you get guys that don't have the experience to run a squad and know what what they need to really do in real life everything starts to fall apart, you know, so. 100%. It's almost like engineers. They know what it looks like on paper, but they're not the ones actually building the bridges or having to run into the different things that you face in real life, you know? Right, all right. So, and then now, now Chris, with you being active, you know, I mean, and, and especially being in the, the Northwest Territory, you know, law enforcement today, I know is kind of facing a lot of scrutiny. And, you know, how, how has it changed since you've been with the force till, you know, today, you know, actively engaging in, in your career. 
I'll have to echo a lot of what Chris has said. Uh, the rules were, I guess for lack of better terms, were a lot looser uh, 15, 18, 20 years ago uh, than they are now. Um, and I, I won't pretend to speak about whether I think it's right or wrong. I've also been a military guy for most of my life. And I, I understand that the rules change, rules of engagement change. Um, and I think most cops would feel this way that all, all we want to do is serve. We want to serve, we want to protect, we want to, we want to help our community. And a large part of that is by chasing bad guys and things like that. But it, in our core, in our heart, it's all about service. It's about selflessness. Um, and with the rules evolving and changing, I would say that your frontline officer, all they really want to know is what the rules are to be very clear so that we can follow them. I think that we all understand we're not in a position as the line, so, uh, line officers to make those decisions of policy and rules. Um, and if they change, we just need to know what they are, what the expectations are, that, so we can put ourselves and as supervisors can put our subordinates in a position to succeed and to go home safely every night. 100%. And then now with that being said, now, Chris, Christopher, I know that, you know, kind of, you know, in the book and feeding off of that right there to where, you know, there are moments that we, we can't prepare for no matter how much training we receive, no matter, you know, how much mentally we try to prepare ourselves, physically prepare ourselves. And, you know, it's, and it's like today you see people like, oh, well, maybe they should be educated more in the books and stuff like that. There's, there's, there's things that books are never going to teach you. There's things that books are never going to prepare you for in real life. And I don't know if you kind of, I mean, you don't have to get into detail about, you know, that, that day, but, you know, mentally, mentally like going in, you know, you're prepared, but then when that moment happens, you know, I mean, how, how did that take you at, like at the moment? If you don't, if you don't mind sharing, I mean, if you don't want to go in detail too much, but. Oh no, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I, I love talking about these kinds of things because I know that somebody out there is going to hear something and say, you're either full of it or yes, that makes sense. And I'm going to take it to the next level from, for whatever it is that they need. I can tell you from my experiences, um, Phoenix was one of the most highly trained agencies and I've been around the country. I've seen a lot of guys and trained with a lot of guys and our agency trained very, very well, very well. And I'm, I'm just happy than I can be that I was so well trained when I got out on the street and finally went solo. And um, from all of the, the training I went through from getting hired to the Academy through FTO, I had a really good FTO really hard on me, which was good for me. And all the all the experiences that I had when I was first getting hired on and on the street definitely prepared me for for the future. However, just like you said, until you actually see it in person, um, there's things you just can't prepare for. You know, uh, unfortunately, my very first shooting, I, I knew the reality of it. But when the guy pulls a gun and I've got to shoot and kill him and then next thing you know, a couple seconds later, I got to pull a guy out of the car and try to save his life. It's, that's not something you can be taught. You can be told, but until you actually have to experience that in real life, that's something you're you're not going to really be able to pre prepare yourself for. So, and then how how does that play affect on not just yourself, but you know the brothers and everything else, you know, with the force, those that were there that day, and just everybody as a whole. I mean, it's any time we have a fallen brother and things like that, you know, we kind of take it to heart, and it affects everybody as a whole. You know, how did that change the outlook or 
the comradeship? Did it bring the force closer or were people divided or you know where I'm going with this? Or Absolutely. I'm going to say yes to that. Yes to both sides, because you've got, you know, um, in my time on between 97 and 2018, we buried 16 in the line of duty. I retired in 2018 and we've now buried three since I left. You know, all these are all guys that showed up to work and never went home. So um, it definitely brings us closer as a as a tight knit community. Um, unfortunately, on the flip side of that, you've got guys that and I mean, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I've been that guy, too, where, you know, you were, you're not even on the scene and you're you're explaining all the things that went wrong on that scene. Well, I can tell you from from living experience that the scenes that I've been involved with, my critical incidents, I was there pulling the trigger, and I still can't remember half the stuff that, that I did or that I didn't do. You weren't even there, and you're telling me what I did wrong. It's like, wait a second, how does that work? So that's that's very common with, with the law enforcement community. Back me up on that one, Chris, if you would. Because I think that we we like to judge and, you know, well, I would have done it this way. I would have done it this way. And this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Well, okay, well, put yourself in that exact same situation and then come talk to me, you know. Well, always use your for the sidelines. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So. And then so now, Chris, with, you know, like today, you know, again, talking about how things change because things have changed dramatically. I mean, beyond, beyond belief, actually. You know, with the, uh, I mean, the, the way that, you know, they're trying to push individuals on how you have to, you know, detain, you know, suspects or it's, they're, they're trying to change, you know, the rules, if you will, that, you know, the rules of engagement have changed completely to where it kind of puts you at a disadvantage. I mean, realistically, I mean, people don't want to see it like that, but realistically, when you change rules of engagement on, you know, how, you in the moment, like Christopher was just saying, you know, you, you can't put yourself in that situation because every situation is going to be different. Every domestic dispute is going to be different. Every traffic stop is going to be different. So, you know, changing that rules of engagement to where now you're the one that has to tiptoe in on a whole different sense rather than tiptoeing in, just knowing that you know, there's a risk there. You know, how does that change the game today for you on those rules of engagement, if you will? I think to start off with at its core level, I'd like to recognize it on every single call that you're on or anytime you're dealing with somebody, a human being, uh, you're behind the power curve. Our, our profession is inherently reactive. Even as much as we want to say we're doing proactive police work and things, everything that we do is reactive. If we're doing proactive police work of going and stopping people, we're reacting to other people's actions. So we're inherently behind the power curve. Um, some of these rules can put us at more disadvantage uh, and, and decrease officer safety, no doubt. Um, but I think that the key to that, and again, we don't get to make these rules, society does. Our, our communities that we serve uh, make these rules, whether we agree with them or not. Um, so it's, it's in our best interest to figure out, again, exactly what the rules are, what the expectations are. And, and apply our training the best we can. And I think to, to Chris's point, I think that it's super critical that we very much analyze all of these critical incidents so that we can learn anything and every small minute thing that we can from them to make us safer and to make uh, people that we're dealing with safer. Uh, but I think that within that analyzation of things, sometimes uh, the word that gets lost in that is reasonableness. 
was what you did reasonable within the totality of the circumstances of occurrences that happened. Um, not whether you could have gone left or could have gone right, you should have peeked over or you should have ducked. Those are all very important training questions, I think, to have um, so that the next incident, and there's always going to be a next incident, that your fellow officer or and, and someone like Chris's uh, position has been in multiple critical incidents, he's more safe for that next one. Um, so again, I think it's very critical to be, or very important to be critical of those things, to learn from them, uh, but to keep in the confines of, was everything that you did within good faith, and was it reasonable at the time with everything that you knew at that moment? Um, you know, and, and I think that another thing that gets lost is we're reforming the rules of law enforcement there's a lot of training that has to happen to bring it back up to that level so that we can still be safe. It's not like they change the rules and there's a magic switch where everything obviously changes because as we train, why do we train thousands and thousands of reps so that things become muscle memory and you're more reactive and it takes less time for you to think and process uh, something called the OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, and act, right? We want to lessen that time frame. Um, and is where everybody's short staffed, and funding's cut, what's some of the first things that go? That's training, right? We have to man up and woman up and put the belts on and go work because we're so short-staffed. So the training, because of due to staffing and due to funding, is going to go down. So it's going to take even longer to adequately get our officers on a playing field that's in conjunction with the new mandates, if you will. Perfect. I was, you sound like a professor there. <laughs> Seriously, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be that serious though. I mean, because like realistically it's, and even with training, you know, because it's, you know, a lot of times training is based on the orthodox, you know, of, hey, th these are the possible scenarios, but are they really the possible scenarios? Because you're always going to have that unorthodox individual that you have to encounter every day, you know, because then you have the factors of drugs, you have the factors of, you know, when you have somebody that's especially like domestic disputes, you know, there could be going through something and that rationale isn't going to be the same as it would be if they wouldn't be having that, you know, confrontation with their spouse, love with significant other, whatever the case may be. So now their, their rationale is not there. So now that takes their reaction to make it, you know, orthodox. And, you know, as you said before, you know, action is always faster than reaction. So as law enforcement, if society or government or anybody is placing more restrictions on you as a whole, now your reaction just slow down, which increases their action. You know, so when you're facing a suspect, if you have to hesitate now, that hesitation factor is always going to be the critical factor. You know, and I know they say that you're not even supposed to use like fatal force or anything else unless there's imminent danger there. Well, what's the definition of imminent danger? You know, there, there's people in this world that can literally kill somebody with their bare hands. I mean, you, you're being military. You know that. You know, I mean, it's the, there are literally people that can kill you with their bare hands. So what is considered imminent danger? I mean, if somebody's raising their voices or coming at me or, you know, coming at you, let's say, you know, it's the where is that point to where your action can be faster than your reaction would be? You know, and, and that's the decision that, you know, everybody on the sidelines can say that oh, you could have made a better decision. But when it comes time for action and reaction and you deciding, hey, is my life you know, worth losing if I can't stop it right now? You know, so, I mean, there's always going to be, you know, fatal force. And because of how much media pushes that, 
when you look at real numbers opposed to the overall good being done, it is so minuscule that it's not even really a factor. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to say death isn't a factor, but, you know, they, they put it on such a high scale to where it takes away and it clouds the good that you you have done in the past and, you know, that other law enforcement you know entities are doing every day that they go out there. You know, like for 2019, there were only 989 fatal force incidents out of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of incidents. You know, is that high? I mean, some may look at it as high, but nationwide, 900, I mean, not even a thousand fatalities. I, I think that's a pretty good number, actually. I mean, I'm just going to I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. That's that's a good number out of the tens of tens of thousands of run ins. You know, and, and that's where society gets that fogged mind like, oh, my God, this happened. We, it, it did, but it's going to happen. And if we and if we can't accept that, it's the well, what would happen if it didn't happen? You know, how many other lives would have been lost rather than that one? You know, and it's the everybody hates to hear the greater good speech. But, you know, at times is the greater good being served. You know, so I know that there's so many different restrictions being put on there, but you know, I, I love how you define that because the, the training is important, but if that training is not being provided, and then again, it's like the factors always change every day. New drugs come out, new different environments come out and things like that to where, you know, how much do those restrictions come into play on training received or, you know, training lost basically. So like, and Christopher, so, you know, how much difference have you seen from, you're when, while you were active till today, because I know, I know you're still kind of in the game, but you know, because you, you kind of share some of the things that you went through to kind of, and like, you know, Chris just made a great point on, you know, when you're kind of limited on that, you know, having the veterans that, you know, and you having so many of those instances, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing sometimes, you know, like a lot of times the tragedies, you know, I go through is a blessing because of what I'm able to provide to another individual. And I think that, you know, what you have done, you know, writing the book when that day comes, it, it's a it's a blessing that I don't really want to say it's a blessing you went through that, but it's a blessing that is beautiful that you were able to take that tragedy and turn it around, that you're able to give. I mean, to take the time to write that book, A, to be able to take the time to understand that that book right there is going to help with other individuals to actually ready themselves for real life. I mean, we watch TV, cops and robbers, cops and robbers, you know, but it's like, that real life instance being like put there, you know, are you really ready for that? Right. So, I mean, how much has it changed from, you know, what you've seen before and now when you kind of go in there and kind of provide the insight, the training of what you've seen before, how much has that changed? It's changed a lot. It's changed a ton. And I think it's not necessarily just the public's view of how we're operating, but it's a generational thing as well. Cause I can't tell you how many of these younger guys that come out <laughs> and they're on fire and they think they're going to change the world and all these kinds of things. And it's great. And I was the same guy when I started off. Uh, I was a little bit older, had a little more life experience than, than a lot of guys did. But when you when you face the reality of what you're actually going to be doing, um, i.e. going hands-on with people and having to face, you know, use of force review boards and these kinds of things, and then you realize that, well, it's not like lethal weapon where you go shoot three or four guys and then come back the next day, and that's it. Um, it's a tremendously complex um profession to say the least and i mean it's it's a fire hose of information that you need to be that just gets shoved down your throat and we all know that 
more often than not, no matter what we do, it's going to be scrutinized on some level. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. Um, you know, you get involved in a, in some kind of a critical incident, whether it happens to be, and next, you know, you've got a, you know, you've got your internal affairs guys, you've got homicide, you've got the lawyers, you've got the citizens, you've got, you know, again, a use of free, use of force review board. Then you've got, you know, some lawyer trying to get in on it. And then God forbid somebody loses their life and a medical examiner has got a hand in the whole thing. And that's, that's a thing that happens. And this is the model that I use. I take a pen like this and I hold it up to about here and then I drop it to the floor. And that's maybe a second, second and a half, two at best that you've got time to make a critical decision on something that's going to cost you your life or cost somebody else their life. And then it's going to take, like in my last one in 2016, it took two years almost for them to come back that we were all in policy of what we did. Two years on a decision that took me, you know, two seconds to decide, you know, so it's very, very difficult. And I know I'm getting a little bit off track with that one. No, you're, no, you're definitely not getting off track. I mean, that's kind of where I'm going with this too, because that, that, that's what matters, you know? Yeah. It's, it's very, um, you know, I know there's a ton of my buddies right now that I still talk to on a regular basis. In fact, we just got back from Arizona uh, yesterday and talking to some of these guys. And they're like, you know, I, I know that I'm never going to pull the trigger. I already know that. Well, how can you say that? You yeah, don't know good. that because they they think that the aftermath is not going to be worth them risking pulling the trigger. And you I'm going to tell you guys right now, you cannot be out on the street with that kind of a mentality. You just can't because what's that going to do? going to cause hesitation and what is that going to do it's going to cause somebody to get killed that's probably not on the right side of the law you know and it's it's never going to work the way it's supposed to if you if you hesitate because you think what's going to go wrong you're going to probably get killed that's just a fact so and i, I hope that i'm wrong on that but I, i've seen it happen before so you're, you're not even close to being wrong like i do a you know i study behavior analysis that's my bachelor's in behavior analysis and everything and hesitation factor is key in any decision that we make in life period and especially when it comes to that because it's you know not not only is it you know your life at risk now if you do hesitate but also other civilians that may be in the vicinity and things like that too or you know the active scene that you went to in a domestic dispute and things like that as well too you know so decisions and and again people not hearing everything and making judgment or and that's really what it sucks because you got to when you have like the regular civilians that are going to the voting polls and passing the levies and they have fucking clue about what that poll is really doing. Like with education, that's why education is just going completely downhill. Right. People go to the voting polls and they see, oh, education. Oh, yes. Without actually like reading what that bill's taking away or what it's really doing. Same thing with law enforcement. You know, the defunding and everything else is the most ignorant conversation that I've even heard within the past couple of years. It's ignorant. It, re it really is. I, I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's insane. So. Yeah. I mean, but it's the, that, that hesitation factor. It's, it's something that you can't train for. And if your mind, you're, you're already telling yourself that, you know, I don't think I'll ever pull the trigger. It, you're in the wrong field. You really are. You, you might want to go be an EMT so that you can go in there and see all the other people that probably felt that same way. And they'll allow that hesitation to take effect. Yeah. And so as you're going in there and you're seeing those those tens, those hundreds, those thousands of individuals that you're responding to because they had that hesitation in their mind to where if they would have, you know, flipped the decision around and made the ultimate decision to where, you know, not necessarily taking the fatal shot, but taking the shot, you know, they wouldn't be lying on that gurney or, you know, others lying on that gurney. You yeah. know? So, well, 
I got another little additive to that whole thing too. I had a boss one time that was telling me that I needed to slow down. You know, he goes, we love what you do, but you need to slow down about 80%. And I told him straight up, this is a big problem because I had just gotten to my specialty squad and only had a couple of weeks on. And I told him straight to his face, I said, you can't have me slow down. If you have me slow down, you're going you're gonna to get me killed because I'm going to hesitate because I'm worried about what you're going to do to me. And I get it because he's a supervisor and I'm not. I never was. Um, and being able to stand up to those guys, sometimes you just can't do it. And what does that do? That's not, that's going to completely demoralize your, your effect on wanting to actually be out there working hard, you know? And in my case, I mean, I was into the stuff pretty much all day, every day. You ask anybody that's ever worked around me pretty much wants nothing to do with me because they know I'm going to start shit everywhere I go, um, which is great. I mean, I had a ball doing that, but with that comes a lot of, a ton of paperwork, a ton of responsibility and a lot of risk, but you know, the risk more often than not, I'll, I'll re, you know, outweighed the reward uh, or the reward outweighed the risk, if you will. And, you know, because I was so well trained, I did everything, not everything, don't get me wrong. I did most things right. And I came out okay on the other side. And when I had to, had to prove that to my boss that, Hey man, you guys hired me to do this job for a specific reason. Let me go do my job. If I screw something up, then come at me. But before I even do make any mistakes and you're coming at me, that's, that's just not okay. And I had to, I had to call them out, you know? So, so I had a little rant there. So I'm, I'm done. No, I mean, that's, that's, that's good to hear. I mean, cause that's really important though, too, because it's the, you know, if, if you go through and you don't really want to speak what's on your mind or how it's really affecting you kind of going back to, you know, somebody that sits in an office all day and points the fingers to go, Hey, go do this, go do this. And they don't know, what you're facing while you're going and doing that and going on that, you know what I mean? To where, so like, like with like Chris, like with you, you know, how, how does that affect kind of what Christopher just covered? You know, how does that affect and how much truth lies in, you know, what you go through today, especially with the, the defunding and well, not really defunding, but minimal funding and, you know, you being short staffed. So there's a lot, there's probably a lot more contention, you know, or dissension really, you know, amongst, you know, law enforcement today than where it was, you know, kind of more, I'm not going to say lackadaisical, but it was kind of like loose as we, you know, we said, we said earlier. Yeah. I, I think to the point of, uh, that stuff and the hesitation, I think that it's one thing to gamble recklessly with your life by hesitating because of whatever process you're going through because of policies, new laws, public, uh, public, uh, outcry over the profession. Um, but I think the important thing to realize there is you're not just gambling with your life. If there, if you're finding yourself in a critical incident of some sort, um, if you don't act and you die or you fail to act even worse, somebody else is going to get hurt, right? Another officer or even worse than that, an innocent civilian, right? So there's kind of a priorities of life. Our lives come before the citizens. We've all signed that blank check to whatever respective jurisdictions that we work for. It says, I'll, I'll give anything to this cause to do right, uh, anything and up to including my life. And we're willing to do that. And there's a, a, a huge amount of selflessness that comes out of that. And I'd just like to take the second, if I may, to recognize Chris and how selfless and vulnerable he is. Through this 20 years and some change career that he had, all the great things that he did, the lives that he saved, he's now retired for now. And look at what he's still doing. He's still selflessly putting himself out there very vulnerably 
talking about the innermost demons and processes of the most horrific things that a human being has to go through sometimes for the betterment of his uh, former fellow officers, for the betterment of community itself. And that's an uncompensated thing that he's doing. This is the ultimate selflessness that uh, my boy Hoyer here is, is demonstrating, right? So this, this sense of service, it's a profession that we're compensated for. This selflessness is compensated. But that's not what's in his soul. That's not what in, what's in, in what is in most officers' souls. They just want to serve. They just want to make their, their community better. They want to make it safer. You know, uh, I, I've always kind of an, um, put the analogy together that when we're in war on the military side, Nobody really wants to see the dirtiness of war because it's a very horrific thing. Um, I don't think that man in general, uh, humans, were, were meant to experience and or um, perform some of these duties that are out there. Um, and that's why so many service uh, members come back and they're, they're messed up at times, right? They've, they've got um, some consequences and things that they have to deal with uh, from their deployments, um, but now we televise these things, right? Can you imagine going back to the Civil War? If there was television and pictures all the time of the carnage that was going on during that time, and it was in our own backyards, right? Um, can you imagine that there would be the support that there was for whichever side? World War One, same thing. World War Two, they weren't. You weren't seeing these pictures of of our young men uh, out there being blown up to pieces and and all the different things that happen in war. Do you think that World War Two would have been as successful if it as it was if we were taking pictures of all those things? Now, to compare that to the law enforcement realm, I don't think people generally are that interested in the 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 minutia of the job. I think that generally speaking, people just want to know that they're safe walking to their local grocery store, walking to their church, walking with their kids, riding a bike down the street. That's what they really care about. Um, but when you expose all these things, they see the unfortunate um, process a lot of times of what goes into keeping our community safe. I'm sorry, that was a long-winded response. but That's, that's perfect. That, that, that's, I mean, that just hit it on the head. It really did. I mean, because it's the... You know, and that's why I always say about the media, I kind of spoke about this in the beginning where, you know, people can be fed anything and that's always going to what affects their judgment, their knowledge or anything else like that, where, you know, you, you know, we as individuals, we only know what we're exposed to, you know, and again, on the point about, you know, with you, Christopher, about, you know, taking the time to write that book and sharing those stories, you know, a lot of individuals that haven't been exposed to those events, those causes or anything else. It's, it's foreign language to them. Yeah, I mean, you know, people may go into, you know, the career, you know, with that heart as Chris just described, but it's the, are they really going in knowing that, you know, these tragedies, which with today, I mean, yeah, we do see it a lot more, you know, on the, the TV, newspaper, you know, magazines, especially with the phones nowadays, you know, so everybody's really exposed to it, but, you know, do you really see that carnage every day, as you know, Chris just said, or, you know, like domestic disputes, you know, people probably don't even realize the the number of like the, the, the fatality rate of domestic disputes and having to go in with the domestic disputes, the mortality rate for law enforcement alone, you know, responding to domestic disputes is the highest of any, 
you know, well, not just that. that. I mean, I, I was telling Chris this last night. I was on my way into work, came across a, a horrific car accident, and uh, there was another service member that happened to be on his way home, helped me extricate this guy out of the car, and uh, for he, he died in both of our arms. So it's that kind of stuff that you deal with every day that brings all that baggage. Now, this guy, uh, I assume by his rank, he's probably somewhere between uh, – 15 and 20 year guy uh that had a huge impact on him it 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 seriously affected him um so i gave him my information to reach up because that it's not just seeing it on tv it's not driving down the freeway and seeing uh somebody you know a motorcyclist or whatever you know as you drive by you don't really seem to you know really comprehend what a fatality is but when you have some man that you know kind of dies in your arms while you're trying to save his life, that has a huge impact. And that's what guys like Chris and people in our profession every day, all day, every day are doing. Um, and I think that we need to realize that there needs to be a process for people to be able to uh, process that and, and find some sort of cycle for it uh, and not just pack it away, but be able to talk about it with their buddies uh their their family within some context uh so that you know you're not taking all that baggage and just holding it because you can't do it by yourself 100%. and now, now christopher to follow up with what chris just said you know how much of that went into the writing of the book the holding that baggage i mean because that's really that's really important i mean like especially with ptsd today because you know a lot of people don't want to actually come out there and admit that that's why i love that you know chris just brought this up about you know how he gave the guy his number and everything else that you know there, there's so much that people just like carry in their mind carry in their mind and you know ultimately that's going to play on hesitation factor you know because of the what you've seen and you know, like, you know, Chris was just saying about the, the guy, you know, looking at his price and things like that. He could be like 15, 20 year guy. But it's the just because somebody's is that 15, 20 year guy. Did he even see that in his whole career? You know, no, nothing can prepare you for like if, if that's that first instance. So like with your book, for instance, you know, and you sharing these instances as to where being descriptive like that and being able to share those moments to where you can paint the picture to where everything is in old sunshine and rainbows. You know, it's because the PTSD world is so real today and, and people need to know that, you know, others are there to reach out to that others have been through it. So how much of that, you know, played into, you know, what you did when you were writing the book and you know putting it out there and going into like training individuals today? Well, I think you hit it. I mean, the best when you just said uh, other guys have been through it. And there are so many of my friends that have said, Man, if I had known that other guys had been through the same thing, it would have been so much easier for me to open up. And that was for me. It was it was kind of selfishly when I started writing it. It was me getting up, you know, twenty years of uh, really like nineteen years of all the shit that I had seen. And because I didn't process it properly, like Chris talks about earlier on in my career, when my eighteenth year hit and everything went just fell apart for me. Um, it wasn't one necessarily bad incident. It was 18 years, you know, of this, 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 and then when, when three major things happened back to back to back, knocked me right on my ass. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, up until my 18th year, I was having the time of my life still with all that much time on, had seen, done pretty much everything you can do, had all the best training, 
um, did the undercover work, trained with SWAT guys. I mean, I was having a ball, just a blast. And I can tell you, I got my ass handed to me because of my lack of ability to express the way I do now. And um, going back to the book thing, when I started to realize, okay, I'm, I'm kind of getting off my ledge. I realized, man, there's a whole, you know, probably really realistically three generations of people, guys that have been retired, guys that are still on the force and guys that are coming up that all need to hear that it's okay to say you're not okay. And I don't care if you've been retired for 20 years at some point in time, it can be one of my former colleagues uses this example that this guy had 25 years on and he saw a dog get hit by a car and that's what broke him. The guy's been stabbed. He's been shot. He's pulled babies out of freaking dumpsters. But seeing a dog get hit by a car was what pushed this guy over the edge. And I don't care how much of a rock star you are. We've all got that breaking point. And for me, I got lucky. It hit me at a really bad time. And I went to, for me personally, um, which was mostly just kind of being very, very withdrawn, very sullen, uh, very quiet, not doing what I normally would be doing. Um, and that was the worst of the worst for me. But I see guys that have turned, obviously, the worst possible case scenario, suicide, uh, alcoholism, all kinds of other potential things going on there. And the whole purpose of the book later on, as I started getting more and more into it, was that, man, if, if I can do one good thing that's going to save one guy's life, all the mm-hmm. stuff that I want to do is absolutely worth it. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. So. Awesome. That's beautifully put. You know, another thing, too, is that I, I want to kind of touch base on and see if there's any truth in this, is that kind of when, you know, you, like you said, the shit stacks up, you know, but it's the how much can you admit? And I mean, how, how much do you guys hold back from admitting because of fear of, you know, being put on leave or having to, you know, go see psych to see if you're even fit for the field? You know, so a lot of people put their career in their heads like, hey, is this going to end my career if I have to admit that I'm going through something, that I'm, that I'm really drowning here? You know, and like it's, yeah, hey, I know how to swim, but shit, this water's getting deep. I mean, you know, a lot of individuals, you know, they find it hard to reach out because of the, are they going to listen? Is this going to put me at jeopardy? How is this going to progress forward? So like with both of you, you know, how much restriction do you see amongst, you know, the brothers that you served with and that, you know, Chris, you're currently serving with that, you know, sometimes, you know, we kind of talk amongst each other rather than talking to our superiors because of that fear of, hey, why don't you go talk to psych or, hey, why don't you go get put on leave? I mean, does, does that play an effect on being able to share, you know, the tragedies that play in the mind that, you know, in the progression that you make, you know, thereafter? That's that's a very complex question, and I will tell you that I was that guy. You know, it was somebody from our employee assistance unit that found me because I wasn't willing to talk to my boss about it. And the fact of the matter is, I didn't trust the guy. I just didn't trust him to do what I thought that he needed to do. Uh, it turned out I was wrong. He actually was very, very good in the very beginning stages. And then as the months went by, he started to kind of flip his switch a little bit and say, you know, it's been a year. You know, knock your shit off. You should be fine by now. Uh, I mean, I probably was. But then something else happens, another critical incident occurs, and then I get knocked back. And then fast forward, another critical incident occurs, and I get knocked back again. And stepping back just a little bit, rewind, um, I don't really care who you talk to. I mean, because we got this this kind of shell about us. You know, we're, we're tough. You know, I can handle it. 
Yeah, well, guess what? I thought I, I could handle it too. And there comes a point in time where you just can't. And it doesn't have to be your boss. It doesn't have to be your girlfriend, your wife. You can freaking talk to your dog. I don't care. As long as you're expressing your feelings to somewhere. And some, I mean, it's obviously not the dog thing. I mean, I joke about that. But somewhere where you can get some positive feedback. And just like Chris mentioned earlier, being vulnerable is okay. Now, great. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're, we're badass. We carry a vest, we carry a gun. We get out there. We get into the great shit all the time. And we're, we're putting our lives on the line. Dude, you made it. You're tough. Okay. You're no longer a recruit. You're out there. You're doing your thing. You're whatever. You're you're a stud. That doesn't mean that you don't have feelings. It doesn't mean you're not a human being. It doesn't mean that when you pull a dead baby out of a green pool, that's not going to screw you up. Because if it doesn't, you probably would never have passed the background anyways. So again, kind of getting off track a little bit. But I know Chris, you're gonna have a much better answer as you always do for these kinds of things. So you're ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think that um let me first start off by saying that I'm not a tough guy. I'm not a badass. I'm just a guy that tries to do the best that I can for my, uh, you know, I, I was blessed to be born in America, and I feel that it is my job every single day to earn my position here uh, and to give back to our country that's, that's treated me so well. Um, so I think that it actually takes a tremendous amount of strength, and I think somehow, and I'm not sure how we get there yet, but both in our military and our law enforcement, or I'll just say first responders, um, because there's so much baggage that comes along with that, and including our hospital staff. Um, we have to figure out a way to normalize talking about our emotions and being vulnerable, because being vulnerable is seen as a weak thing. When I, and from my perspective, it's a tremendous amount of strength and courage to come out and be vulnerable. Um, and, and, you know, Chris had said something about having uh, his employee wellness or uh unit or whatever employee assistance that's a fantastic thing my agency has that as well um and that's good for what it is but we're being extremely extremely reactive and we're poorly reacting um you know take away the critical incidents of you know the dynamic shootings or stabbings or seeing all the dead people Let's just take the last year of riots where law enforcement officers across the country have been kicked in the teeth for 10, 12, 15, 18 hours a day, every single day, with no downtime to decompress, no downtime to process, and to not even be able to come around full circle. Here it is 18 months later or whatever as you keep moving on, and still no process for them to let some of it go. It's all just pent up. Um, what, at what point are we going to find a release valve for these folks? I think that across the country, you're probably seeing the suicide rate of first responders going up, police in particular, domestic issues, substance abuse, um, sex addicts with going to find hookers and things like that, gambling issues, pill issues. People are self-medicating in whatever ways they can to try to mask these things because there's not even enough time in a day when you're dealing with these riots uh, all day to even bullshit with your partners left and right to be able to decompress together. So all this just, just stuff is just building up and then you have more of these critical incidents. Somehow, some way, we need to bring it back to its core level for basic training or whatever it's, uh, the different uh, perspectives are, respectives are in the military, in your academies, uh, your police academies, your fire academies, on how do we 
reconcile? How do we process this emotional trauma? It's just trauma. And it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But it's just trauma to our, to our souls, our hearts, our, our minds. We don't do anything to train up for that. We train to fight. We train to shoot. We train to write reports. We train to talk people down. We train to de-escalate. Uh, we train in all these less lethal options. But we don't train ourselves how to process and deal with these horrific things that we come across. How do we get there? How can we incorporate that somehow organically from the very beginning rather than being absolutely reactive after the incidents? Let me jump in, if I may, on that one, too. That's a um, great point. I, thought, I, I, was, <laughs> I was speechless on that one. <laughs> yeah. This is, why I, this is why I want this guy here because he's a rock star. Um, but it's, it's not just having that training available. It's you've, you've got to be able to get guys to – to come to these things, you know, whether it's mandatory or not mandatory, because I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been, you know, training with our SWAT guys and he's going, I don't know where my squad is. Well, then this mandatory, <laughs> mandatory training and they don't show up. It's like, well, how does that work? So you gotta, you gotta get these guys there first. And then you've got to break that shell, that barrier of, oh, I'm a tough guy. I can handle this. Well, I don't, you, I don't care how tough you are. You know, again, you need to, you need to be able to accept that bad things are going to happen. And, more often than not, this is just my opinion only, very not very popular opinion. There's probably not much you're gonna be able to do to stop that thing from happening anyways. You know, if if it's if your number's up, God has made that decision, you know, there's not much you're gonna be able to do to stop that. Even if you do, you know, at some point in time it's gonna happen again. So so you gotta be able to get these guys to be able to break away from that that stigma and say, yeah, you know, I, I really do need this. And oftentimes that's, that's, I've found that more often than not when I, when I do public speaking stuff, guys will pull me aside one-on-one because -on -one they want to talk outside of the crowd, which is great. I absolutely love that. Um, but getting guys, especially cops, I mean, first responders in general are pretty bad, but cops in, are the worst about wanting to share their feelings or their emotions in front of other folks. I mean, it's, it's almost virtually impossible. So how do, how do we do that? That takes senior officers that are respected like yourself. It takes your leaders to be open about it. There's a story that I read somewhere uh, that some sergeant major in special operations command in Florida, in uniform, in the middle of the day, lets everybody know, puts it on his calendar, hey, I'm going to go see the psychologist. And he does this for a period of weeks. He doesn't go in the back door. He doesn't try to make it secret. He walks in so everybody, Sergeant Major so-and-so, United States Army, Special Forces Command, hoorah, tough guy, right, is walking into the head shrink. People are like, hmm, okay. And after several sessions, you know, he's kind of BSing with the shrink or whatever. And she goes, when can we get down to what you need? Because you seem okay. He goes, ma'am, I'm not doing this for me. I make this appointment every single week just so all my soldiers can see me in uniform, walking up, head, to, head, head, head up, shoulders back, nice and proud, letting them know that it's okay to come and talk to you. That's the kind of thing that needs to happen so that it can become normal. When you have badass rock stars like Chris Hoyer in front of everybody, God and country, saying, hey, you know what? I can do this. That lets everybody else know that even if some rock star like him or that sergeant major, that it's okay for them to do it as well. And it's just purely at its core leading by example. And, and that's that's a great point because it's the a lot of individuals don't know. I mean, a lot of individuals know there's help out there, but a lot of times they don't know who that help is or how close to 
them that help is because they don't know that it's okay. Exactly. You know what? It's just, you know, and the society sometimes demoralizes asking for help or admitting there's problems or, (coughs) excuse me, I'm sorry, you know, admitting that you have a problem. You know, none of us want to say, oh, hey, I have a problem dealing with this, you know, make us, you know, kind of like, you know, Christopher said, well, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say that I'm weak or anything else like that, you know, because if, if I'm supposed to be somebody that is supposed to be support the foundation for everybody, you know, how much is that really going to affect their, you know, calling on me for support or, you know, you know, calling out to you guys for assistance when it's the, oh, man, he's, he's seeing the head shrink, you know what I mean? Or, you know, in fact, you know, getting that off your chest, you know, getting that and just flushing your mind is actually making you stronger. It's not making you weaker. It's actually, you know, readying you for that next uh, uh, situation that is going to, you know, populate. So, I mean, it's it's vital. That's why I just love so much that, you know, what Christopher's doing and, you know, and, and my infinite wisdom is as intelligent as I am. Like when I started this, this video, I didn't have it like post it for the public so we've been sitting here talking this whole time and i didn't even have a post for the public but anyway so i mean it, it'll get out there and people like it'll be able to hear it and everything else too but i kind of wanted to be able to have the live chats and stuff but but no i mean this is so vital so like with ptsd for example you know it's the you know people think that you know ptsd's you know limited to you know somebody that sustained loss or anything else like that but ptsd is something that you know, situations we, you know, face every day and the stresses, the depressions, the anxieties that, you know, especially come with the job, you know, and I mean, you, you have to do a, a moral flush, not, not really a moral flush, but I mean, you have to empty yourselves out. So, you know, I mean, and Christopher, I know that that book did a big thing for you and you going in and talking to individuals does it for you. And then so, you know, you know, Chris, if you don't mind sharing, you know, how do you keep your mental flush that, you know, kind of keeps you on your game because you don't have all that just compression, just, you know, swallowing up. I'll tell you, for me, I live a very stress-free life. I've told this to Chris and anybody that I talk to um, for the sake of, and I don't, I generally don't just talk words to say words. I try to um, emulate and act exactly what I'm talking about. So I don't hold anything in. I'm very open. Um, I've been through some things myself, uh, and I talk to people about it. I tell people what my process is. Um, hey, man, this sucks. I'm struggling today. Um, I try to be that sergeant major, right? Um, I'm, I'm of nobody of value, no, no leadership value to anybody, um, but I am a senior officer, and, and you know, uh, so I have some experience, and people look at that. And I can say, you know, people ask me frequently, I don't know how what you're so ridiculously happy and chipper. It's it's pretty annoying. Um, how is that or why is that? Uh, for me, because I refuse to give anything or anybody or any organization the power over my happiness. Um, and I think that sometimes we don't recognize or understand that we actually have that power. Uh, that we actually give away. Okay. Uh, your agency, Chris, is saying that you did some horrible things and you should have turned left instead of right or whatever. All that, you know what I'm going to tell you? Okay, Roger that. I got you. I'm not going to beat myself up about it because I can't fix it. I can't control it. If I can control it and it's doing me ill, then I'm going to do everything I can to fix it, right? It's that, uh, you know, what is it? The something of prayer. God grant me the wisdom to know the difference between the things I can control and the things that I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference between the two. So things that are out of my control, politics, media, people's actions, all those things, I don't worry about them because I can't control them. 
All I can do is put myself in the best position to be happy for me, be happy for my family, uh, and, and, and frankly, to give. I'm happiest when I can give of myself. And even in my tough days, because let me be clear, I'm not a tough guy. I cry. <laughs> I've cried in front of Chris on video calls and, and several other people. I get angry. But it's probably less than, it, I guarantee it's less than 10% of my life that I, I choose not to give it to that. And then when I'm in those down places, I talk to, I call Chris up. Hey, man, I'm struggling with this. I had this guy tell me something. I won't say specifics, but Chris will remember that I called him and said, hey, man, this guy said this to me, man. I'm not sure how to process this right now, man. Can can you give me your input? And he laid it for me clear, man. And and, and I was emotional in that moment uh, because I truly just didn't know how to process it. He helped walk me through it. And, uh, man, I'm still a happy guy because I can still give. And when all else fails, I come home and I have a beautiful wife and little girls and a 17-year-old boy that smile at me every day when I walk in the door. Uh, and how can you not be happy about that? Well, I think, I think that's one of the key uh, components to individuals feeling comfortable about going to somebody is that, you know, when we ourselves expose ourselves as, you know, regardless of how strong we are and things like that, you know, showing that we do have vulnerabilities that, hey, it's, it's okay for me to release the vulnerabilities, but I can still stand strong while I, you know, deal with vulnerabilities that I do face on a day to day basis, you know, and I'm going to keep going back to you, Christopher, too, as far as, you know, that goes. It's just, I mean, my mind is blown. I mean, the book's a must read for so many. I mean, it's just that, I mean, because it, it puts things in real context. You know, Chris was talking earlier about the, you know, all the gore you see and things like that, that, you know, you kind of go in blindly, you know, would somebody sign up for the military if they would have seen the bodies upon bodies upon bodies, you know, laid swimming across the beaches, you know, and, but, you know, even in, like, in in training, you can sit here and watch videos. But again, going back to even that same situation, you taking somebody that's completely unorthodox, you know, they may have a faster trigger. They may have a crazier mind or be wanting to just end this faster. You know, again, you know, hesitation factor is always going to play into that, you know, and then without having a clear mind, you know, if you carry all of those, you know, stressors in your life, you know, that's why I wanted to kind of bring up this topic because it's important because if you carry all those stressors you know you're going to be focusing on some of those things or what's going on back home or you know the last incident that you had to respond to rather than the here and now about you responding to because then that's going to put you you know fog mind hesitation factor and you know ultimately could you know cost your life or you know fellow officer or even you know civilian and things like that so you know it's I'm not going to really say how can you prepare yourself for that, but I mean, there are ways and, you know, Chris just, you know, nailed it on the head that, you know, we, we have to keep our minds as clear as possible, especially in, you know, facing the things that we face each day. And, you know, it's, so when you go in and do like the trainings that you do, Christopher, you know, based on, you know, the past, you know, how, how much can you see in their faces or the receptiveness? You know, I know you said that, you know, the guys pull you to the side, like after everything, but, you know, how receptive are you seeing the guys like when they hear that, you know, this shit's real, you know, it's like you're not just signing up for some comic book, you know, this shit's yeah. you know going to come at you. So, yeah, that's that's a great point. And um, the presentation that I do is I've been doing it since uh, 2017 now. I've actually changed it around just a little bit. And what I try to do is, you know, maybe it's not as appropriate as it needs to be but it's shock value. 
and I play some audio from from my last critical incident, and I want guys to realize that, hey man, this is this is what happened. And I'll get briefly into it just for a second, but um, four and a half seconds of a gunfight where I watched an officer get killed in front of my face. I had to put down my third bad guy, and I I had three rounds miss my head by centimeters. I actually heard and felt the rounds go past my head. Four and a half seconds. That's only one very small portion of that entire incident that I want guys to realize, hey man, this is this is what really happened. And you look at the photos of the of the scene prior to, it's a very, you know, unassuming cookie cutter style neighborhood. And 30 minutes before this thing happened, I was in I was at the station impounding some motor some uh, marijuana. And next thing you know, I'm literally in a fight for my life, you know. And so I, I start off with a shock value and then I show how the, the transition was from going from the worst day of my life to now living my very best life out here by the beach. And, and if I can do it, believe me when I tell you, cause I, you know, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm nothing at all special. I mean, I'm just a regular, regular guy, like 10 different ways. And despite all the great training that I had, I still, you know, I took it all on board too late, but when I finally figured it out and then realized that, uh, there are there are things that I can do um, to change my my own attitude, and just like Chris says, I mean, there's only so much you can do, and the only thing that you can you can control is your attitude to how things come at you. And I, I think that's why him and I get along so well because I just don't let shit affect me anymore. I'm like, okay, you know, we've got to kind of. <laughs> you guys don't need to hear, hear this, but we've got an infestation in my kitchen right now, and it's like. Okay, call the bug guy. Wait for him to show up. What can I do? I can't stop it. I mean, I can I can do a little bit here and there, but I'm not going to get all stressed out about it and get pissed. You know? Just to clarify on that, Chris, if I can jump in on you, so it's not misinterpreted here. It's not saying don't care, but there's something. There's such thing as caring too much that it's too much of a burden on you, right? We all care, and it's not like we just throw it back and say, you know what, I don't care. That's not the reality. I care, but like. There's nothing he can do about his infestation, so he's kind of giving himself to the fact that I just got to wait for the bug guy. We all care. We all continue to do our jobs, but you can't care so much that it's going to cost you everything, right? You can't give what you don't have, and sometimes you need to take a break. And if, you know, to your point, Michael, if you have a bad day at home or there was another incident that you're still dealing with, it might be the best option when you get to work, and it's just you're just not feeling it. Say, hey, boss, I need to take a day. I'm not ready today, and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. Well, I'll tell you what, man. That's that's maybe the best advice I've heard so far. When you know you're not okay, take that time for yourself, man. Seriously, because that was one of the things that I did for myself that made such a huge difference in my wellness. I mean, seriously, you know. And then when you get to that point where you can finally admit to that, that's just, that's another huge step forward as well. So, absolutely. How how hesitant do you see? you know, fellow officers aren't taking that day because again of, you know, it's caring what the next person thinks, or especially when it comes to the, the superiors about, Hey, how's this going to reflect on, you know, my character or my ability to go out here in the streets and do my job efficiently, effectively every day. You know what I mean? Cause it's, again, it's hesitation factor in that essence to where it's the, Hey, if, if I admit that I need to take me a day for this, you know, how much are they going to be like, oh, hey, you know, are you really cut out for this? And, you, you know, yeah, it's let me jump in really quick. So I know Chris is going to have a better answer. So I got to jump in first. Um, <laughs> he always does. He always does. Um, I, I personally think it's a very fine line. 
it's a it's a fine line between I'm going to be judged if I if I do these kinds of things versus I really just don't care. And e- either one of those two is very 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 risky, if you will, because if you don't care, then people are going to see that and they're going to not want to work with you and these kinds of things. And then that leads down a really bad path. If you're worried about being judged by your peers, what are you going to do? You're going to start trying to act more like they are versus who, like in my case, who I used to be, if that makes sense. And when I, when I mentioned EAU earlier, um, I made a reference to, I'm going to go someplace and hide. And my buddy's like, nope, get your ass in here, sit down. We're, we're going to have a chat. Okay, and he he did. He called me to the carpet because he knew, dude, that is that is not Chris Orr. You're not one of those guys that hides. We're gonna call you to your bullshit right now. And he did, and it was like, okay, all right, fine, you're right. And then it all came out for me. So, all right, as you were. <laughs> I, I think that uh, the the important key to that is communication, communicating, and and like Chris just said. His buddies knew the type of guy he was. He's not the guy that's going to be a malinger. He's not the guy that's going to use every second of his personal time, right? He's a go-getter. He's always there. Um, you know, so I think that that, from my experience, people don't have a, uh, an, uh, a hard time taking time off. We take time off all the time for vacations or whatever. I think that, uh, you know, and I guess maybe you could lie about it, but maybe it's the 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 reason for taking the time. Hey, I need to take a vacation day because I'm going to go boating. I'm going to go ride my motorcycle. I think it's more difficult for people to say, Hey, um, I just need a day because I got a process. And you know what? My advice to that is maybe you don't need to necessarily say that's why just take the day. But those that are close to you in your, uh, in your squad, in your unit, they know, and that they should reach out. Right. And that's where that open communication comes from. Because by God, if we can't trust, you know, we talk about being there and sacrificing ourselves to the man and woman to your left and right. If we can't trust each other with that little bit of communication, how much do we really trust each other? How tight of a unit are we really? Are we taking care of each other? So those are hard questions we need to ask ourselves because, it, the, look, I don't think there's any macro solution to this problem. It's all going to be grassroots stuff. Individual officers within individual squads and individual units and individual departments to make that more broad uh, realization of being okay and and being able to say, hey, I need to tap out and take a day. Furthermore, we all sit out on this career for a full career. But you know what? When your career's over, when you recognize that you have nothing more to give (laughs) and you can take a break. And, you know, Chris has found his spot where he needed to take a break, and now he's getting ready to start some other journey. So he's been able to refill his gas tank, take some of the food off his plate and say, you know what, I'm hungry. I got to get back in this. I got more to give, right? And that's okay as well. It's okay to tap out of that job. It's okay to tap out of the career because you have to take care of yourself before you can give anything to somebody else. Well, see, that's the beauty of it too because – and I want to touch on that because, you know, sometimes, you know, making those decisions – they're not only what's best for us, but it's what's best for others as well, too, because, I mean, look where it led Chris. You know, I mean, you know, I, I keep going back to the book and everything else, too, but it isn't just that book. The book was just a stepping stone for, like, what you do now going into new recruits and training and things like that, and even the veterans, because by you stepping out, yeah, I mean, yeah, being active, you know, you know, fellow officers in the squad and everything else, you could actually – you know, have your camaraderie there and, you know, share different things. But by you stepping out, you expose yourself to hit a broader, you know, scale of individuals that really need to hear 
the tools that you have, the resources you have, what you've been through, how it's going to better prepare them for stepping into this journey and career and things like that. So it's the, again, it's, you know, a blessing that comes from a tragedy that it's, it, it really is a blessing, you know, and not many individuals, you know, know that breaking point or not, it's not really even a breaking point. You know, as Chris just said, like being able to know that, hey, now's my time to go ahead and step out. You know, it's best for me. It's best for my family. It's best for my squad. It's best for everything. Because, you know, when you start letting, you know, the, the stressors of life, the stressors of the job get to you, and then you're becoming more lackadaisical or the kind of, oh, hey, yeah, it is what it is. You know, now, now you're putting, you know, your fellow officers' lives at risk. You're putting yourself at risk. You know, the, the citizens that you're responding to, there are so many different things that you're going to affect because now your whole mind isn't in the game. You know, and you, you just got to have that mental flush. And sometimes that, you know, if that mental flush isn't it, that stepping out is vital to, you know, our lives, our careers and the careers of those that follow us. You know, and it's just that it's a blessing that you found your calling. I wish I seen, you know, more officers, you know, doing what you do, Christopher, because it's, it's, it is vital, you know, and especially in the changes that we get with each generation. Like today's generation is just so far like. I don't, I don't want to get into that. It's a whole different topic, but I mean, you guys know where I'm going with this because it really is. I mean, you're, you're facing a different generation when you hit the streets every day. So, you know, being ready for that, you're going to have to know, you know, what individuals used to face in the, the you know, the, the pre years, you know, opposed to what it is now, because, you know, history repeats itself, you know, and the same thing with training and everything else. Well, Hey, look, this is what I was exposed to. This is what, how I dealt with it. And this is what I'm giving to you now so that you're able to deal with it. And it's it's vital what you're doing, Christopher, and it's vital what you're doing, Chris. I mean, it's just, you know, in having that mind and sharing it with others, you know, because if others don't know that they can talk to you, they're, they're not going to talk to you, you know, unless it's in general conversation, you know, so. Then you got to be approachable, right? Because a lot of senior cops, I think when you came on, Chris, you'll attest to this, right? Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the senior guy, I'm walking around and it's like, don't talk to me, kid. You know, you got to prove yourself before you can even say a word in the roll call or the write-up room. Hey, uh, sir, can I ask you a question? Don't talk to me, kid. Right? So we got to be a little bit more approachable so that we can uh, mentor that younger generation to come up the right way so they're not dealing with the same struggles. And, you know, Chris's book is fantastic, but it probably encapsulates about two minutes of his complete life. And you got this thick book, and uh, that guy has so much wisdom and so much to give, and it's so fantastic that he's out there doing it. Well, I can tell you this, man, from my experience, I had a friend of mine reach out to me the other day and he had about two years on me. And I remember I responded to a car accident one night and um, it ended up being a DUI. And I had never done a DUI on my own yet. I was only on the street solo for a few months at that time. But I knew that I hated doing accidents. And he was the first one there. He asked me, he goes, well, you know, I'm going to give you first refusal. What part do you want? Do you want this or this? And I said, well, I've never done a DUI. I said, I'll, I'll go ahead and take that. And senior guy, a little bit, a little more senior than I was, not by much. His response to that was, man, that's just like the greatest attitude ever. I, I just love that you want to try something new. And we're still to, to like 23 years later, we're still friends to this day. And because he was one of those guys that didn't have that, you know, hey, I'm senior to you. You're going to do this because I was here first and I, I got numbers on your ass. You know, he was like, dude, that's just that's just awesome. And that attitude, man, it, it stuck with me, and I never forgot that. And that's how I wanted to be throughout my career, that guys can say, 
that freaking Hoyer guy's a giant pain in the ass, but I can go talk to him, you know. And <laughs> my girlfriend's the same thing. So she's like, oh, God. That's vital, though. I mean, that's important. It, it's huge. I mean, it's it's massive. Not only that, but for the boss's side as well, I got unbelievably lucky with the vast majority of my, my supervisors. And because of their attitudes, not only toward me, but just in general, it made me want to work. It made me want to go out there and break my back for them. And I did. I mean, I freaking I busted my hump for them. You know, and unfortunately, toward the end of my career, when I when I finally got a, I'm not going to call him a bad supervisor, but the way things happened between us, it, it kind of got on a level of personality conflict there. I didn't want to work for him. I didn't want every time his I would be sitting in the in the briefing room and I would see his truck driving in the parking lot, and then I would be like, oh, there goes my day, because I know I'm not <laughs> what I want to do. And you know what I'm talking about, Chris. You know, so um, and that's how it ended. That's how my career kind of ended with that very negative you know, bad attitude that I told guys for my entire career. Don't let one or two guys dictate your career. And I ended up being that guy myself, you know. So. Don't give anybody that power. Yeah, and I did. I totally, absolutely did. And it wasn't necessarily because he was a good or bad boss or what have you. It was my attitude. And I'll, I'll take credit for it because it was all me, but it wasn't just that because I had multiple back-to-back-to-back critical incidents. On my 20th anniversary, my best friend lost his dog in an deployment. You know, so that's that's my memory of my 20th anniversary. It's like, oh, Jesus, you know, I mean, how how do you deal with that? You know, and this is after all the other stuff that I'd already seen. So, you know, that's why my attitude was so shitty toward the end of my career, you know, so. And, and you know, how important is it? I mean, I know it's important, but, you know, how important is it, you know, going into the career and even like even every day that you, that you go out, that you go out there, you know, how, how important is it to know, you know, your weakness as well as your strengths. I mean, we all have to know the things that, you know, kind of like in, what what even triggered this in my mind was you being able to say, hey, I don't like accidents. I'll handle the DUI. But, you know, there, there's still like real life in that to where it's the, you know, we have to know the certain things that, you know, not necessarily a weakness, but the things that I wouldn't really be able to give my best for or that I'm not really the best for admitting I'm not the best for that to be able to know, hey, these are my strengths. That's not one of them. You know, how important is that for like the new trainees plus even even the veterans today, you know, because nobody wants to say, oh, I can't do that. Nobody wants to say something like that. But it's vital mm-hmm. because, again, with, with your careers, that's that's life or death in some instances, you know. Yeah. Chris, you want to jump in on that one? I think that it comes down to two words, integrity, all three, I guess, self-awareness and uh, uh, self-reflection. If you can be honest with yourself and and understand your faults and own them, then you'll never fail, right? But you have to be absolutely honest with yourself to be able to look in the mirror. And this doesn't have this has nothing to do with being a cop. This has to do with being a good man, a good woman, a husband, a father, a wife, a mother, right? If you can say, you know what, I was pretty shitty today, babe. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what was wrong with me. I was an asshole for absolutely no reason. I'm not. I don't even know why. I apologize. Man, that stuff goes so far. Me and Chris are in the same squad. I had a bad day, and he did something, and I chirped at him. And I recognized it later that night or the next day. Chris, I don't know what the hell was wrong with me, man. I'm sorry. I was a fucking dick. And I don't even know why. I apologize. But being able to be honest with yourself, be full of integrity, self-aware enough that you can self-reflect honestly, then you can fix that. I, I'll take that a step further. You know, I, I always tell people now, this is my one of my new things that if you 
I mean, we're talking about critical incidents going back a little bit. If you want to be okay, you will. If you if you want to keep reflecting on the negative and be a bad person and just be pissed off all the time, you know, people are just going to start to distance themselves from you. But if you can if you can maintain that level of you know positivity, then people are gonna they're gonna gravitate toward you, and that's what we want. We don't want to be shunned. We don't want to be left out of the group. We don't want all these bad things. But if you got a, a freaking shitty attitude, that's exactly what's going to happen. And unfortunately, uh, we all know this in, in our profession. There are a lot of guys that are uh, I'll use the word arrogant because it's true. And arrogant and bitter. <laughs> You know, and bitter and jaded. That's another word I like to use because it's all true. And it, it's it's it kind of comes with the territory, let's face it, you know. Um, but in my particular case, you know, with firearms, I, I'm i a great instructor. I can teach you everything you need to know about the basics, how to get into gunfights, how to survive, all this great shit. But I suck with a handgun. Flat out, I suck with a handgun. I'll tell you that all day long. You know, and I've I've tried everything you can do. Um, and I'll tell you right now, I'm not taking a I'm not taking a shot more than 15 yards out. <laughs> but with the with the rifle, uh, I think I can probably hold my own pretty well. And I and I know that's one of my strengths versus one of my weaknesses. And I and it's okay that I say that you know what I suck with a handgun. But I, you know I've tried and tried and tried. I'm never going to be a competitive shooter, um, so I don't act like I think I know what the hell I'm talking about. You know, for my own personal side. You know, for you, yeah, I'll, this is what I think you need to do. If that works for you, great. If it doesn't work, then you know, so be it. So that's just me. But. And yeah, I mean, not to 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 absolutely what you're saying. Don't concentrate and stay on that negative. Recognize it and fix it, right? I mean, happiness. Like I said, for me, anything worth having is a hard bunch of hard work. Happiness doesn't come easy. You have to freaking work for it, right? Success doesn't come easy. You have to work hard for it. So anything that's of value or that makes us happy. It's not just going to be. You have to work at it every single day. Happiness in the job, happiness in your relationships, happiness as a parent. It's something that you're working on incrementally every single day. Awesome. That's a great point. So I was going to invite him on this. And again, I appreciate you being like, I really wasn't trying to make it last minute. Christopher, you probably made, you kind of made it the last minute, but you know, because I, you know, because I'd like to have both of you back really and kind of, you know, get this going everything else too, to where, because this is really an important topic. It's important what you guys do and everything else too. So I have another, uh, you know, another friend of mine, Ray Bashirs. He's down in Texas. He owns Blue Shield Tactical and he does close quarter trainings and he does like firearm trainings. He, he'll get you good, Christopher. But, uh, <laughs> but, no, it's like, but, it's, but it's important though, I mean, because like, you know, and bringing people together and knowing those, because you can take two strengths of, you know, each other, you know, that's one of the, one of my other things too, with like strength of each other, because, you know, without you, I'm nothing without me. You know, I mean, it's, we're, we're all in this together. And, you know, it's like when he goes and he travels and he goes inside different, uh, you know, law enforcement squads and he does the different trainings and things like that, you know, it's one of the things that I'll help fund. You know, so a department, you know, because of them not having the funding to maybe reach out and provide that training for the officers and things like that that's needed. You know, your training on what to expect and things like that, you integrate certain things like that together, you know, because you, you take past experience, you know, because he had his past experience. That's why he takes and has so much passion about providing the training for, you know, close quarters defense and, you know, knife training and everything else, you know, because it's the you, you have to be ready for all scenarios, you know, and, you know, what you provide, Christopher, it's a great mental strength for a lot of individuals going in there because, you know, a lot of times, you know, our vulnerabilities and showing everybody else that, hey, look, you know, things affected me too, 
you know, regardless of how strong I am or was then, you know, and progress forward through that, I still am. But, you know, there's certain vulnerabilities that, you know, kind of, you know, are the cause of, as Chris said earlier, hey, look, this is my time to step out. I'm going off to other things as well, too. But then you take that as a benefit. Now you're able to provide things to individuals that otherwise wouldn't be allotted to them, to yourself, to your family or anything else like that. So it's it's phenomenal. I mean, well, I I'm very much a proponent of training, of course, as you guys know, are very well aware. My training consists of um, preparation before, during, and after, and that includes mental, physical, emotional, and then spiritual. Okay. So the mental game is playing the what if game. You know, the guy comes around the corner with a rifle. What do I do? All these kinds of things. Physical, you know, in my case, I knew that I trained a certain way because I'm never going to be a power lifter. I knew that. I don't have it in my genes, but I can run pretty good and I can kick indoors pretty good. So that's, you know, jumping fences and, and training for what I did physically. And then setting up your gear the right way, all these kinds of things was huge. And then the emotional side is more on the after effect when you go through a critical incident and figuring out, okay, how do I process through these kinds of things? We can, that's a four hour class on its, on its own by itself. And then recently um, I've gotten not really heavy into it, but I've gotten a lot more into the spirituality side of things where I realized that there are certain things that we're not going to change. We are just flat out not going to be able to change and recognizing recognizing some of these signs that you see um and taking it on board and realizing that hey man you know i had i had a really good quote i said why is it that you know we're we're seeing all this carnage and all these dead babies and all these really bad things and a really good friend of mine pointed out he goes um it's not because god's not doing his thing it's because satan has a hand in it as well and i'm like that makes that makes perfect sense. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, exactly right. And so I started to realize that yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of evil in the world, but you know, just like Chris talked about earlier, I'm not focusing on the evil. I'm focusing on the good. And if you're focusing on the good, you know, it's going to come full circle. I mean, Natalie and I, my girlfriend, we've got so many stories of of paying it forward. It, it's almost sickening. I mean, it's like how does this even happen? Because we put they're, out- they're an amazing couple. Yeah, well, she, she's amazing. She's across the couch from the other side of me, but she's amazing. I'm just kind of following her lead for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she holding you the cue cards right now? <laughs> I'm like throwing 20s at her right now, you know? So. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's great. Though. That, that's, that's all. And she did an amazing job editing that book, by the way. She, yeah. I mean, I tell you what, the very first time we actually talked about that, it was one of those things where I'm like, hey, what's your name? Oh, by the way, I got a book. I'm going to give it to you. And she's like, yeah, okay. But then she read it. And then she, we talked about this yesterday because now things are starting to really take off for us. She said it um, three years ago. This thing is, is going to be something big. We need to do this. And I'm like, okay, if you say so. How, how much of the book did she know about you prior to you handing her that manuscript? And being like, oh, hey, wow, um, you know what I mean? Because that's like a lot of, well, it's like a lot of the public, though. I mean, realistically, that's why I loved reading it so much because it's like, you know, Chris sees things every day that general public doesn't know. Right. I mean, he he's probably seen tragedies that some individuals wouldn't be able to fathom. You know, you can't make some of this shit up. You know, and it's the, you know, so when when you put it into that perspective, and I'm, I'm sure she's probably reading this like, oh my god. <laughs> Hey, well, hey, now I know you a little bit, you know. It's like, yeah, you know, the funny part was, you know, she reads the stories and she knows me as this totally laid back beach guy. You know, I ride my motorcycle, have fun. I'm, I'm like super mellow. 
and she she can't really picture me doing the stuff that I talked about, you know, because the truth be told, I was really no different on the street than I am right now. I mean, I pretty much was always of the attitude of, okay, it is what it is, you know, and I learned this from a couple of my buddies, even though I had it in a different context, it was always ask, tell, make, you know, I'm going to be really nice all the way up until now I've got to, now you force my hand. <coughs> And then after that, it gets kind of ugly. And I, I hated being that guy. I always try to talk my way out of fights. But when I'm going hands-on with you at the point where now I've got to, I've got to do something, I'm, I'm going to make you understand why it's a bad idea. <laughs> you know? And I, I hated being that guy. I really did. I still, I, I'm, I'm very much a pacifist, which doesn't really equate with being a police officer very much. But, you know, I'm not a big gun guy. I know what guns do to people. I've unfortunately been in, in far too many situations where I've seen what happens. So, um, I do, you know, I do acknowledge that I think everybody should have one for their own personal reasons or personal defense or what have you, along with the right proper training. And I mean, I, I say everybody, I don't mean like, you know, criminals, <laughs> just to clarify that. Um, but you know, what I like to point out to folks is it's like, okay, yeah, carry a gun. If you feel better to have one personal defense or what have you, but I want you to see what weapons do to people and i mean it can go that's another like a whole long conversation about you know do you understand what rep weapon retention really looks like you know and i can't tell you how many of my buddies cops good well-trained guys have been disarmed by bad guys with you know pretty serious training and for somebody that hasn't really had any kind of training and doesn't do this on a regular basis like almost every day chances of you being successful carrying a gun so i point out the, the good stuff and i point out the bad stuff as well so again getting off topic here so well that's not really off topic i mean because that, that really is critical mm -hmm. i mean because it, it, it goes a long way into you know readying yourself and readying those that you know you're sharing your story with so that they're better trained in things like that as well too and for like the civilians that you face every day or the individuals that you talk to and sharing that knowledge because not being probably trained you know people think owning a gun they're safe and the majority of the homeowners as you just pointed out that have a gun they have it taken from them you know at the beginning of this you were talking about your buddy that said i'm not really a I don't ever see myself drawing my gun or firing my gun. It's like, well, you really can't have that mentality. It's like, if you have that gun, you're going to have to know that, you know, come that time, you're going to have to be able to use that. So then with that being said, you know, having yourself properly trained on how to actually, you know, discharge firearm or, you know, deescalate the situation and everything else, you know, up until that point, you know, but it's, it, it's a vital topic for individuals to talk about and to consider It's just, but Hey, if you want one, you're like, Oh yeah, hey, I'm just gonna have a gun. The gun doesn't make you safe. It's the knowledge of you know what to do in that situation, whether you need the gun, or you don't need the gun, or whatever the case may be. But you know, it's still going to be vital to what it is that you do. You know, so I think that you pray that you never have to press that trigger. Not say, not say that I'm never going to. Uh, I, know that, I know that those things are pretty pretty closely worded, but praying that you don't have to is very different from I'm never going to. I couldn't agree more. And believe me when I tell you, you know, no bullshit. I mean, I've been through four officer ball shootings and we've all, especially the younger guys coming on board, they all want that curiosity satisfied of, well, you know, what's it feel like and this kind of thing. Man, believe me when I tell you, after my first one, I, I didn't want to have it ever, ever happen again. And uh, Chris, you've been in some, some heavy stuff as well. And it's, it's not something you want to experience. And, you know, even though now, I, I mean, I've, 
I've, I've got all the experience. I've got all the shit under my belt and everything else. It's all behind me now. Um, I really wish that I never had had to go through any of those major critical incidents, even the ones that didn't cost anybody else their life except for the bad guys, which, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that. They made their decision. I had to react to it, you know. But in a, in a situation where you lose an officer, any one of those four that I've been involved with, well, technically three plus one, um, any one of those, I, I really wish that I had either just taken a day off or been someplace else. But It left you with baggage that you wish you never had to carry. Yeah, it's true. It is true. But, I mean, it's, it's no secret. The whole entire reason why I'm here now is because I, I, I'm not a single by any stretch of imagination. Uh, I'm very honored that I was there for some of these things that I, that I had to experience because that's where God put me. And now, based on those experiences, I want other guys to know everything that I went through, uh, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, what have you. So they can either, again, like I said earlier on, take it on board take it to the next level or say, dude, you're full of shit. That's, that's not how it is. You know? And I love that. I want the I want the positive and I want the negative feedback. I want guys saying, that's not what I went through. Okay. Well, let's have a conversation about it. I mean, seriously, because I want to know, I'm never going to stop learning whether I go back into the law enforcement community as a, you know, as an officer or a deputy, or if I just stay on the training field, I want to know everything that I can know, you know, in addition to my own experiences so I can help other guys out, you know, and that's my whole goal in life. So Amen. Just, uh, that's one of the things that I want to kind of like push. It's one of the reasons I wanted to kind of, you know, bring you on here and, you know, have this discussion, everything else too, because, you know, I'm a big advocate for law enforcement, you know, proper training, you know, taking the, the what was and kind of integrating it into the what is right now, because it's, it's a topic that a lot of people ignore. Training, you know, is so underfunded. I mean, and I mean, under, underfunded. So that's why, like, I, I find different ways that I can to implement certain strategies in, you know, bringing individuals in like yourself, Ray Bashirs, you know, now I got another resource with Chris. Oh, yeah. To where it's because it's the, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a big, 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 big topic that is not discussed. Right. You know, it's, it's like, and oh, it's, hey, they're doing it. And it's really not that complicated. I mean, I remember when I first got my rifle, you know, and I didn't have an opportunity to, to go out on the range all the time. So, as crazy as it sounds, of course, I found a safe place to do it. Um, closed the door behind me and, and turned off all the lights. And I sat in my in my dark closet, completely lights out. And I did magazine exchanges for hours and hours and hours and hours. And when it came time to do a magazine exchange in real life, to, I mean, a critical incident, I didn't even realize I did it, you know. And so, you know, just again, sitting in a closet or the I know you read the book, you know, the cat toy. You know, I freaking strapped a cat toy to my freaking barrel because I couldn't afford a laser light. So that's what I did. And I walked up and down the freaking range for hours and hours and hours getting that thing to where I, you know, I wasn't bouncing around like this and these kinds of things. Very, very simple, extremely cheap. And if you're, as long as you're creative and you can figure out other ways to do these kinds of things. Um, and I, believe me when I say I'm not a, an advocate of defunding and that's a whole nother thing by any stretch. Um, but there are times when you got to go out on your own and, and spend your own dime and figure out how you can do better things your own way. So that's, that's a great example though, too, you know, with the cat toy and everything else too. So, you know, like when I, when I always tell people about repetition, like, you know, training your mind, training your body, you know, I always use the Buddhist monks sitting on that hill, just standing there all day, just going like this. And it's, it's, it's that repetition to where it's involuntary after a while to where it's just, it's a spontaneous reaction to where, you know, like Chris was talking about at the beginning of this about, you know, how the action's always going to be faster than the reaction. However, 
if you do that repetition and that repetition, that repetition, you know, that magazine exchange is going to be just a blink of an eye. So you're, it's not going to be a thought. You're not going to tell yourself, hey, I better change this magazine. It's just that you know, it's a done deal, yeah. you know, so that, you know, that repetition and, you know, driving that in individuals too, to where, you know, and same thing with training or that same thing with having discussions, you know, having that repetitive discussion with somebody, you know, repeated, you know, Sergeant Major going in there with his, you know, head held high, shoulders back, going in there week after week after week to go see the head shrink. You know what I mean? It's that repetition and people seeing that repetition that it just becomes programmed in their own mind. You know, so it's important what you do. It's important what you both do. And it's just we need to have more of it and, you know, kind of exposing it to, you know, the new trainees coming in, the veterans that are already doing it, because there's so many veterans today that they feel suffocated because of the restrictions that are being placed or, you know, the, the lash outs that, you know, other individuals are like, you know, putting into the, the, the shit they're throwing in the game, yeah. you know? So it's just that, you know, having somebody to go in there and speak to them and just kind of, you know, force the engagement, you know what I mean? You're just forcing right. that conversation because a lot of people try to play it in their back of their mind and pretend that sometimes it doesn't exist, but it's real life. And it's that real life that, they pretend in their mind that it doesn't exist. It's setting themselves up. It's setting their squad up for, you know, the repercussions that, you know, could be coming. So well, I'll tell you what I say, and this is what drives me crazy about a lot of the scenes that I've been on is the statement of this is how we've always done it. You know, and I know Chris and I've talked about this a lot. It's like, well, that worked 30 years ago. And even for me, you know, I'm one of those guys where I'm like, well, this has always worked for me. I'm going to do it this way. Well, that's stupid if you think about it, because you need to evolve, especially in today's climate. You know, I mean, now, like my old, my former agency, they're huge into red dots. Everybody's carrying red dots on their pistols. I tried it and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even I, it's not going to work for me. I'm just going to go back to the old way. That's the new cat toy. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, and so um, so being progressive and being, you know, being able to accept change which cops hate more than anything if it's somebody else making that change like when somebody gave me a like the 2006 crown vic and i wanted the 2007 i'd be like oh i can't drive that car no way come on if it was me picking that car nobody would care right you know but you got to be able to, to now you got the chargers <laughs> yeah oh yeah right uh, you got to be able to shut down those barriers and say you know what maybe change is good from time to time and some guys, you're just not going to change flat out. You're not going to change them. That's just how they are. That's how they're built, what have you. Um, but if you sometimes, if you can be, I, I love uh, reality-based training. That's that's one of my biggest things. Uh, if you get some reality-based kind of training in there and say, look, man, this is this is the direction this is going. I don't like it any more than you do, but this is how it's going to have to be. You know, and if you don't leave them a choice, sometimes that's just the way, you know, they got to they got to adapt whether they like it or not. You know, so. A scared straight program for law enforcement officers. <laughs> There's a new reality show. <laughs> yeah, scared, go, scared straight for law enforcement. <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, is, is there any other topics you guys want to talk about today? Or I think uh, we've kind of hit on just about every type of thing, haven't we? Pretty close, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Officer uh, wellness. Uh, uh, critical incidents. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I want to have you. I want to have you guys back on. You know, I mean, and, and Chris, I have, I have the actual the link for individuals to get your book. It's needed. You know, and I, you know, months ago when you and I first started keep, uh, 
uh, conversing and everything else too. And when I first purchased the book and everything else too, I brought it up to you that, you know, it's, I, I feel it's important. I would like to actually, you know, go inside different law enforcement, whether it be municipalities, the counties, the cities, you know, even states to where, you know, I, I really believe that that is something that would be beneficial to them to read. It's kind of like, because as they read that, they're going to see the exposure of themselves as well too of, you know, because sometimes when you see that, oh man, again, going back to the PTSD and, you know, us playing and doing that whole mind fuck, excuse my language, but of like, nobody else will understand. There's nobody else to talk to, you know, it's, it, it brings it to real life. It really does, you know, and I, I believe they need to have that. And, you know, kind of, I believe that kind of like to expand it out too to the follow up of the, Hey, here's the, here's, here's the man behind the book, you know, because that in, in a real life training, because it, it puts even a, a bigger fa- um, push on the reality of it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's vital. It really is. And I mean, I, I commend you and I commend you and I'll, I won't quit commending you for what you have done and what you continue to do because, you know, like Chris said earlier, like knowing when to step out, but you really haven't even stepped out. man. I mean, what you're doing today, it's, it's, it's a, even a bigger cause than what you did before. It really is. Yeah. You know, I mean, I got, I got to throw a shout back. I mean, you've mentioned a book a dozen times and I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. When I started writing it, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be anything more than just me writing my own stories and never really thought it was going to be anything more than just something on my laptop. And now here we are. Um, so kind of switching gears just slightly, if, if you like, I, I mean, I love doing this, even though I, I suck at reading, even though I couldn't write a police report in 20 years, I can write a book. <laughs> um, but if you would like to next time we come back around, I can start reading the chapter here and there, you know, and, and having people, hear kind of straight out of the horse's mouth because I, I i think i wrote better than i can articulate you know you see with that being said you know going back to what i was saying earlier about my infinite wisdom when i set this up where like the comments weren't available for individuals to i had it on the restricted right. so people couldn't comment the whole time that we've been doing this video and i'm just sitting here like i'm looking over here to the right hand side just like kicking myself in the teeth right now like and then i, and then, and then I and then I had it blocked. The world wasn't even on public. So even though I put it onto the, the law enforcement sites and everything else, it was like still restricted to it was private. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Hey, pat on the back. yeah. <laughs> Every, everybody <laughs> needs to hear this here. Let me block it out. <laughs> I know, you know, I tell you what, man, I only I go back sometimes. By the time I got done, you know, Natalie and I were finishing it up and I had I had read it so many times and added a few things here and there in between some of the stories. Man, I, I was so sick of it. I didn't want any part of it anymore. I'm like, just get this shit out and let me be done with it. And then you fast forward. Um, it came out a year ago in March. And every every so often I'll go back and I'll read a chapter. And I'm like, my God, it almost sounds like I know what I'm talking about here. You know, <laughs> I mean, but at the time it was, I swear, it was nothing more than just me throwing shit down on paper. And as it turned out, I mean, a lot of people are responding way better than I ever expected. I had a really, really close friend of mine um, with Austin officer from another agency and a relative of that officer read it and was, has never met me before. She mentioned to him that um, it was almost like I was reading it to her and has never even met me. And I'm like, how do you get a bigger compliment than that? I mean, that is for me. That Not so- that you need any more credibility because the book's credible enough, but it was endorsed by Colonel Dave Grossman. So that absolutely has to say something, right? Yeah, that's, that's huge. That's huge. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Dave's a good dude. <laughs> he's, not, 
that was that was probably one of the biggest honors of my entire life was when I reached out to Dave and I said, hey, just you know, do me a favor, take a look at it. And he came back and said, <laughs> you know, a quote that he said basically was the best law enforcement uh, book he's ever read. I'm like, okay, well, I, I wasn't aiming for that high. All I wanted to do was put your name on it, but um, and you know, I mean, I'm, I'm still on the side of again, it, it's just my thoughts and my my stories and some prayers and stuff like that. And as it turns out, people are responding in a pretty positive way. And, and I, I love that they are. And again, it goes back to, I, I want the feedback. I want people to say, dude, I, I think you're full of it or no, I love what you wrote or, you know, I'll never read it again. You know, I like that you wrote it, but whatever, you know, I'm going to go on to something bigger and better, which I, I like that too, honestly. So I, well, I love the whole, I mean, what really does it, you know, I don't know if this was like, you know, part of like Natalie's role and everything, or if it's how you wrote it down, which that's what makes, you know, great editing happen. You know, like I, I write, but it's not never like put it out there and put it out there, but it's just like, you know, putting the, the sequencing that that book has of the beginning to end of, you know, where you've seen yourself in the beginning, you know, what made that ultimate decision, you know, and then progressing forward, you know, and of course, you know, what you faced, you know, during your time in and then, you know, the ultimate tragedy and then the stepping out aspect of it. I mean, the sequencing of that book is it's flawless. It really is. And I mean, because I mean, it puts everything in a perspective. So, I mean, that that book is relevant to, you know, the cadets, you know, going through training right now. It's relevant to the trainees that are already in. It's relevant to the veterans in the game. It's the ones that are it's relevant to the individuals that have retired themselves. Because everybody is still dealing with that real life, you know, regardless. You know, again, when I wrote it, it was, I didn't, I didn't have anything planned at all. I mean, nothing was planned in that book. And when I, when I finally got it done and I sent it off to her, there's actually an entirely second, um, second book that's, we're being, we're working on that as we speak as well. The teaser. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and so, um, Natalie picked the, the stories that she thought were the most impactful and took out a few that, you know, were, yeah, I'm not going to say inappropriate, but definitely more on the side of there, there's no way kind of thing, which, you know, some, some stuff that, you know, Chris, you know, this as well as I do, if, if I hadn't been standing there watching this in front of my face, I never would have believed it. You know, So there's some shock value in some of the newer stories. Um, but when she she got her hands on it, she she took it to the next level. And I mean, again, for me, when I first started it, the whole thing was all in caps because that's what we do, right? <laughs> yeah, no, we're not doing that. And then she came and formatted it, and very, very, very wisely, which I would have never thought about in a million years. That you know, she spaced it for cops because we're you know we're cops. We don't really, you know. And I've I've heard several people look at it now. And say, you know, I, I've had other books to where the, the print is so small, I, I, I immediately immediately lost interest in wanting to read it because it was like, you know, you have to do this. Where the way she did mine was was designed for cops to be able to read easily, which is good because you know. So forty seven chapters fit on ten pages. Is what he's trying to say. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah since I couldn't write a police report, you know, I, I, it was kind of like, well, where's my crayon? You know. <laughs> um, but it is, it is, I admit, it is a very easy read. And that, again, wasn't by design either. That's just, you know, me throwing it out there, throwing it out, you know, and putting my heart on my sleeve. And, well, now he's over here. She's taking credit for the whole thing now. So there's more 20s, you know. So, Good uh, for you, Nat. 
Yeah, right. It was, it was by design on this side anyway. On that, on her side. <laughs> uh, for me, it was again. It was just throwing my heart on the sleeve and just throwing it out there. And as it turned out, uh, it, it actually worked out pretty good. So. Well, it's it's vital. It really is. You know, I mean, it's just that, you know. People see, you know, the cruisers driving by, they watch TV, they watch the cops and robbers shows and things like that. But it's so when people do read real life, it's like, oh, yeah, right. That's exaggeration. But there's no exaggeration to the tragedies, the traumas, the horror that that really does exist. You know, I mean, it's the you can't you can't plan for it. You know, and it's that again, that's why I like the title of the book and everything else. You know, when that day comes, you know, training for the fight, it's when is that day? It's every fucking day that you you know, get up, you put your clothes and you go. And it, it's not a nine to five job. I mean, that's something that it's just, it's always on your mind. You're always going to, and because you're doing that for the community, for the city, for the world, I mean, the country as a whole, you know, you also bring that back home for your family. So it's, it's not a part-time job, right. you know, and there's, there's always going to be tragedies that we face, but again, you know, the importance of being able to have that filter, being able to, to do that mental flush and, it has to be done frequently or whatnot, but you know, it's, it's vital. And, and your story is just so laid out. And I mean, you know, sugarcoating, it, that, that's what's caused a lot of today's generation. I'm not, I mean, let's be honest, but it's just, you know, people need to hear the, the bold truth, you know, and a lot of people are like, Oh, when they hear the bold truth, it's like, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. It's like, Romans. okay. I was that guy. <laughs> I was that guy. You know, I, we heard a story in the academy, and I'm like, "That's bullshit. That doesn't happen." And then yeah, fast forward, and sure enough, what <laughs> actually does happen. So, uh, but uh, you know, maybe for the next conversation, we can dive into somewhat about the families, because I think that is something that touched me, Michael. With what you said is, you know, we go out, and you know, every day is that day. Um, Chris, tell me if you think I'm a liar if I'm speaking out of school here, but I don't think that I've ever gone to work thinking that day was going to be the day. However, however. I was trained for it. I was ready for it. But here's one thing that I can almost guarantee to a family member. Every time mom or dad walks out that door in that uniform, they say, I hope this is not the day that comes. Yeah, oh yeah. Right? I've never carried that burden. Ever. I've never felt like I've worked a day in my life because I love what I do. My family, on the other hand, they're like, oh my God. Please don't let this be the day that the... Some cop in uniform and a dress uniform with the chaplains coming to my door. Yeah, you know, that could be more true. I mean, that's absolutely. And that maybe maybe we need to dissect that a little bit too and, and recognize them, because from my perspective, they sacrifice so much more than idiots like us. Um, and you know, they also have to find that decompression time and 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 have that time to be able to uh, let some air of that balloon so it doesn't pop for them as well. Hundred percent. I'd love to have that conversation. I mean, because it, it is vital. I mean, it really is vital to to everything. I mean, and you know, it's again going back to what people know and what people see. The perception, you know, perception is always important. I could tell somebody, <clears throat> "Hey, go clean that toilet," and they could think that I meant just wiping around the bowl on the inside, where I meant like wiping the tank down the in the base of the toilet around the. You know, it's about perception. You know, yeah. so you know, people see what they you know what they're fed. But how much reality is there? You know, so you take right. Christopher's book, you know what I mean? All of a sudden, that, oh, here's that reality that this is really what goes on when, you know, people are out there in the streets and things like that. Now, what's the realities of the family members sitting at home? Because, you know, family of law enforcement, they do know some of those realities. But again, 
not all officers share what they see because they don't want to put that burden on their families or kind of pollute their minds with the traumas, tragedies, and things that you were just They're expecting. carrying that burden no matter what, no matter how much you try to protect them, they're carrying it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you guys from experience, that's a huge mistake to not share. Now, does, does they, do they all need to know all the specific details of what you did today? No. But I can say right now, I walk in the door and my family knows what kind of day I've had based on the look on my face or if I go straight to the room, you know, and, and shut myself away or these kinds of things. Um, and a little bit off topic here, but for the guys that are, that are watching that may have not gone through this yet, um, I've got a chapter that's very, very close to my heart about answering the phone. And my ex-wife was, was forced into answering her phone um, at least that I can remember six different times when I was on the street. And we had that rule early on in my career that, hey, no, if I'm at work, I don't care what you're doing. If that phone rings and you don't recognize that number, answer the phone. Because more often than not, it's not me calling. It's somebody else calling on my behalf. And my biggest fear was that, God forbid, something happens and she finds out about it on Facebook or on the news or from some other source. Because that's exactly what happened on my last critical incident. Um, the, uh, the now widow found out from the desk aide. Um, what had happened basically just off of a name, you know, and it's that that's absolutely unacceptable. I mean, you, you can't do that. So I get, again, I get into much more, uh, more eloquently in the book about answering the phone, but that's the basic message to guys that, that are, that are kind of still out there doing their thing. So. And every single one of those phone calls, let me point out is a critical incident for those family members. Oh, it's a very traumatizing thing. Hello, Mrs. So-and-so. And their 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 hearts got to drop in this in the pit of their stomach because they don't know what's next. They're gonna assume the worst. Yeah, and you know those those ones where I've you know one particular time I had two IVs in me. I couldn't I, I physically couldn't get to the phone. And the first thing I tell my friend, I'm like, hey, call this number and make sure the very first words out of your mouth are he's, he's okay. okay. <laughs> you, know, you know exactly what I mean. After that. Then all the tears, then they can cry, and then they can be pissed, whatever the situation is, you know, as long as they know you're okay, and then go to the next next conversation, whatever. Right. He <laughs> <laughs> so. looks like Swiss cheese, but he's okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. But I mean, it's, yeah. it is a real topic. I mean, we, we really do need to have that, man. I mean, it's a, I'm, I'm blessed that you guys, you know, jumped on here, and I do want to kind of schedule one and, you know, make this happen. And I'd like to have it as an ongoing topic that way, you guys can invite more on. We can kind of expand the actual viewing crowd and things like that as well, too, to, you know, make under individuals understand that this is an important topic. You know, it kind of gets swept under the rug until something happens on the TV or, you know, somebody reads a newspaper. Oh, my God, I can't believe they did this. Well, what happened? Well, well it says. Well, yeah, it says, you know, but. Well, I know, <clears throat> I know me and Chris both have our opinions on, on critical incidents, but if we get to that that point where we want to talk about why like i'm not going to throw it all out there now of course but you know the the officer that pulled their taser versus a gun i know i know how i can break that down to make people understand why she did what she did and those those conversations can come up as well for people that don't know um you know again it just boils down to the, a lot of the training and her experience and these kinds of things so um that could be definitely be a topic as well so we can make just a weekly thing take it we can make this a weekly thing. Seriously, I'd love to have this conversation weekly. I'm, I'm down, absolutely, heck yeah. So, and, and I want to have like a you know a separate conversation with you too, as far as the about what I'm saying about like the books inside the different municipalities, cities, counties, states, 
I mean, because they really do need to read it. They need to hear it. They need to like maybe even see you come in there and kind of just put that extra oomph into the, the book and everything else too, and give that. You're changing life. lives, Hoyer. You're changing lives. I don't know about all that, but I'll tell you, my my dream now that now that it's kind of taken off is for it to be the next Dave Grossman where it's required reading for law enforcement. And I, I'm still not 100% convinced that it's it's at that level. Um, I can tell you this, you're probably not going to go wrong by reading it. You may or may not learn something from it, but um, it may just make you laugh. I mean, that might just be enough for you to, to want to read it. <laughs> It'll make you laugh for sure. <laughs> well, and you'll learn something too, even even with the veterans. I don't care what anybody says. You know, If somebody, if somebody makes that comment, they're, they're either ignorant, dumb, or blind. Period. Yeah. I'm, I'm being that serious, you know what I mean? Because, you know, everybody we meet knows something that we don't, period. You know what I mean? Right. And then sometimes, you know, in that story to where, you know, Chris has seen things in his career that, you know, you may not have even had to be exposed to in your career, Christopher, and vice versa. Right. And there's so many out there that, you know, and the biggest question, you know, and again, how your book, the, the title and everything else for when that day comes, you know, it's just that so many individuals are going out there that they get so lackadaisical or complacent in their jobs because they're just so used to, again, repetition. If all you're seeing every day is the traffic stops and they're just, everybody's just handing you their IDs, their insurance, everything else. So you're just so complacent with that. You walk up to that one vehicle to where an individual is just not so compliant. You know, it's that, that's that day, you know, yeah. when it's just that, and because you've been so complacent for so long, it's, you're the victim now. I, you know, I, I keep talking about how I'm downplaying the book and like, it's not, a big, it actually is a pretty big deal. And I'm very, very proud that I was enough part of the whole situation to where I had, you know, the, I'm going to call it the necessity and or the obligation to write it. And, it you know, and I, I'm, I'm very happy that I was, I was that vehicle now to where I had to be pushed forward to, to make it happen. And again, if, if one or two guys, it saves a life or it just changes how you do things and somebody else gets their life saved because of what you did, oh, every right. single thing I did was worth it. So, And that's what matters, you know, and again, I, I keep touching on what Chris said earlier, you know, it's perfect on, you know, knowing that when to step out because you really haven't stepped out. You just you just took a different course, but you knew that, hey, you know what, if I continue to serve at this level, it's just not going to be for me and it's probably going to be counterproductive than it is for the best. And you took that. And I mean, what you did with that is it's, it's a blessing. It really is. I mean, and I love how humble you are about not thinking that the book's really that big of a deal, but it's huge. It really is. I mean, that's why I'm talking to you right now. That's why I want to promote it to where, I mean, people need to hear this. It's a topic that, you know, so many people try to ignore or sweep under the rug, but it's real life that, you know, keeps myself, my family, my business, everybody that I care about, you know, safe, protected, and everything else like that, too. So it's something that I want to promote. I'm going to continue the conversation, and I want to make everybody else to have that conversation, too, because it needs to be had, period. Well, the, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And for, for guys that aren't sure, if you're if you're not really sure, check it out on Amazon and listen to the uh, listen to some of the audible portion of it and, and just read the back cover. And that's what I need to do. Well, that's what I need to do because I, I had the – because I didn't, I didn't put the audible part on there. I'm yeah, pretty sure yeah. what I put on there was the actual book. I need to put the audible part on there too and make that note too. So I'm glad you just well, for, uh, Also, it's kind of weird the way it happened because we've got the original book that came out in March of last year, and then we did the updated version at the same time that the audible version came out. The audible version is still the original book. 
And now the new Dave Grossman endorsed version is a whole nother thing. So when guys are looking for it, um, you've got the original one, which is Chris, what is it? 37, 39, 40, 40 some odd chapters. I don't remember. But 42, I think. Yeah. Something like that. And then a new one has four brand new chapters added to it with Dave's endorsement in the very front and his forward. Um, but then again, like I said, the Audible is the original version without those four chapters. And that just was, was more of a matter of timing on our side. And so when you're looking for it, sometimes it's kind of hard to find that newer version. But um, like I said, just look for Dave Grossman's name across the middle of the book and you'll see it. So. You'll, you'll, get a, you'll get a call from Disney to be a voiceover. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this, is record. I didn't, this is one of Natalie's favorite parts. I didn't actually do the, the reading, but the guy that did do it is a spokesman for Dunkin' Donuts. So Dunkin' Donuts... You know, presents a cop book. You know, so it's <laughs> That's kind of the, the the irony and the blessing and shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so. <clears throat> That's awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate you both greatly. I, but uh, uh, message me and kind of find out how you want to schedule this. I mean, because Chris, I don't know your schedule. I mean, that's something you can kind of you know keep with you guys and everything else like that, but you're trying to find a schedule. I mean, we can alternate. It doesn't have to be the same day each week or something like that, but I would love for the both of you be during the conversation every time. And, you know, fellow officers now active or, you know, Christopher, the ones that you may know that, you know, have been through traumas and things like that as well too. You know, we need to expose that because the more that we expose that and that we all have like real life problems, you know, the more that individuals that are still active, that are afraid to go talk to, not really afraid, but well, yeah, afraid to go talk to somebody or, you know, they feel that it's going to hinder anything or make them feel lesser or seem lesser to somebody else. I mean, we, we really need to have that conversation that way, you know, more individuals have the conversation. They come out and talk to others about it because as they step forward, the next individual will step forward or, you know, it's to, to come together. I mean, we, we have to, I mean, it's a brotherhood for a reason and it needs to, you know, be reinvented in that aspect. And again, that's one of the services that your book can do because it, it does need to reinvent the brotherhood as far as what it's there for, you know, ancestorhood and everything else. But it's the, if an individual can't walk into that, you know, roll call every day and know that everybody that's in that room is truly for you and that you can truly go to them and vice versa. It's, it, some people won't admit it, but that's really how it sits right now. Some people stay reserved and they just go in there just to do their job and just, you know, make it through. But you know, it needs to be heard and needs to, you know, open people's minds to it as well. Well, that's, that's an absolute life-saving technique, you know, and it's a, it's a career saving technique as well. So, um, I realize I haven't showed up in the last half an hour. So <laughs> Chris, you want to jump in and shut me up for a while. So, no, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak uh, with you, Michael and Chris, thanks for having me on here as well. Um, it's a truly humbling experience. Um, I, I hope that uh, through venues like this, that we're absolutely able to uh, help positively affect um, officers' lives uh, and help them recognize that they have a lot more power in their own process, their own uh, emotional and mental health uh, than what we than what we think we do. We have so much more. Uh, so I, I I implore everybody to search your inner self and and find out uh, your way uh, to recognize that you have that inner strength and that power. Amen, brother. Amen. Perfect. It was a pleasure, you guys. You guys stay blessed, and thank you for your service then and now. God bless you. Thank you so much. Always God bless you. All right. Bye-bye.